Today we resume our study in the book of Acts, and as we do, we should be aware of the fact, we should be aware that held to the standard of God's word, we should be, or we would be wise to be, evaluating ourselves as the church today. As we move through this study of the, the, the formation of the church, the, the history of the original, the early church, uh, we today should be looking at ourselves. We would be wise as we move through this study to be evaluating ourselves. Against the standard of God's word, we should be measuring ourselves. And all the way through, that should be our mindset. This is, again, the teaching of God. It is revealing to us the actual historical account of the formation of the church. But we would be wise to have the mindset all the way through of evaluating ourselves according to God's standard. Well, in that view, let me ask the question today. So how do we see the church today? Now, that is a question I've asked before. How do we see the church today as a whole, as believers, as Christians? How do we hold, how do we view, uh, what value do we give to the church today? What understanding do we have of the church today? This last year, in the events of the last year, and there's all sorts of, of crazy things that have gone on, this last year, I believe, have been very revealing of how we hold the church today. And I think uh, what we're seeing was already happening. I think uh, some of the things that are being revealed were already in place. But I think uh, what is going on is a revealing of what we really think about the church today. And I just watched... Uh, this year, and I watch how things progress. The world says the church is not necessary, and you know what? A whole bunch of us agreed and went along with it. The world, the world says the church is not essential. The church is not vital, and a whole bunch of us just agree, and we go along with that. Or the world says, you know what? There's a better way to do this. There's a better way to operate in the church than what God has said in his word. You know what? This is what he said. These are the dictates of how you run, operate, and exist in a church. But the world says there's a better way, a different way to do this. And we say, okay, we agree, and we go along with it. And I believe it has been a very revealing time showing what we truly believe about the church. Well, today from our study in Acts, and in our specific verses today, I want to remind us, and man, do I want to remind us, but I, I want to be sure that we understand the church is the creation of God, supernaturally enabled by God to undertake the mission of God, all for the glory of God. Listen, I want you to hear that again. That's, a, that's an awesome thing. I want us to be sure today as the church that the church is the creation of God, supernaturally empowered by God to undertake the mission of God all for the glory of God. Listen, the church is essential. The church is necessary. For us as followers of Jesus Christ, the church is a big, big deal. Today, we're going to resume, and we're going to see a set of verses uh, that we began two weeks ago. We started with the first three verses of this section, 
We're going to pick up that section again today. Our verses are found in Acts chapter 12. Today, verses 1 through 17. Verses 1 through 17, a pretty good chunk of verses. Our message today is entitled, The Essential Church. The Essential Church. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 12, beginning here in the first verse. God's Word says this. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared and a light shone in the cell and he struck Peter's side and woke him up saying, get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, gird yourself up and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street. And immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. When he knocked on the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. They kept saying, it is his angel. But P Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. Verse 17. But motioning to them with his hands to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. And he said, report these things to James and the brethren. Then he left and went to another place. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come and we are thankful for you. We're thankful for a kind and a, and a gracious and a powerful and a mighty and a marvelous God. Lord, we're thankful for our Savior, Jesus, and we, we truly worship our Savior, Jesus. Lord, I, I come and I pray now as we study your word, you tell us that it's living and it's active and it's sharper than a double-edged sword. And so I pray, Lord, that it would speak today, that it would convict today, that it would lead today. I pray as the church today in, in this 
imperative time that we would deem ourselves necessary, needed, essential, and we be faithful to your plan for the church. Lord, instruct us in that. Lord, we come, and I'm thankful again for our salvation. And I pray for one, maybe several in this room that do not know you. I pray that today, in the hearing of the good news of our Savior, Jesus, that they might be saved. Lord, we come and we commit all this to you. We tell you we truly do love you. We worship you. We praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today, we find a very specific account of an event in the church. Now, remember on the big scale, what is going on? As we come to our very specific account, remember on the big scale, the church is found boldly proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember on the big scale, on the grand scale, persecution has broken out against these believers and they've been pushed out of Jerusalem. Well, in response to that, a bold proclaiming people have now become a dispersed people, and the gospel is going out. The gospel is moving out. Well, in that, as we read the account, we find in the proclamation of the gospel, in the spread of the good news of Jesus Christ, that people are being saved, and the church is growing. Be sure this morning. The purpose and the mission of the church is to testify to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is why we exist. Sometimes we get confused on that. Sometimes that gets diluted. Listen, we exist in the church to testify, to uphold, and to bear witness to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me, let me stop right here for just a second. Be very very, very clear right now. The greatest need of a lost world is the great mission of the saved church. Now, I don't know how to say that and make that any more, any more pertinent to us. The, the, the greatest need of a lost world is the great mission of a saved church. Listen, people need Jesus. People need the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have Jesus, we have the good news, and so therefore we in the church, we proclaim Jesus Christ. Do you know any person outside of a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, they may have been good, they may have been kind, they may have lived next door to you, any person outside of a saving faith, trust, relationship with Jesus, they will perish. Listen, I don't know how to say this any louder. That is why the church matters. That's why. That is why the church is essential. That is why. That is why we can't take a year off in the church or two years off in the church and worry about something else. Listen, it's not about us. People need Jesus. And the mission of the church is to faithfully proclaim the Lord Jesus. The greatest need of a lost world is the great mission of the saved church. That's what we see in the book of Acts. That's the general setting that's unfolding. And then in the midst of that, we have the specific 
event that we're going to see right now. All right, let's look at our verses. Starting again in verse 1, we looked at these first three verses last time. I'm going to, I'm going to go back through them again. Starting in verse 1, it says this. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. Now remember, the word mistreat means in the original language to inflict suffering on them. And so he lays hands on them to inflict suffering on them. Verse 2. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. James, the brother of John, is the first apostle that is killed. He is beheaded. And so he, he is mistreating the believers. He takes James, the brother of John, and he has him beheaded. Verse 3. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. Now in verse 3, we see that the Jews hate the message that Jesus, the Nazarene, is the Messiah. They hate that message. It was a stumbling block for them. Paul tells us they hate the message that Jesus, the Nazarene, is the Messiah. He is the, the Christ. Well, they hate his followers because they are proclaimers of that truth. His followers, we see they are faithfully, diligently proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, and because they hate the truth of the gospel, they hate the deliverers of the gospel, and they hate his followers. Well, Herod, the king, he figures out that if I trouble the church, if I trouble and persecute the believers, the Jews cheer me on. And so he persecutes them, and the, and the Jews are pleased. He, he, kills, he kills James, and the, and, the, and, the, and the Jews are pleased. And so now he arrests Peter. Now, I want, I want to be very clear. I couldn't move it down somewhere, but I want to be very clear, and I want to address this right here. What do you think he's going to do to Peter? See, I think sometimes we don't really think that far through. Do you think this was about mistreating Peter? Do you think this was about arresting? Oh, look! Dear Jews, I have arrested Peter. Do you think this is about having a trial for Peter? Do you think this is about proving him wrong? They're going to go back for forth, tit for tat, and they're going to prove him wrong. Do you think that's what this is about? No. After the Passover, he is going to publicly, he is going to be visibly, and he is going to do what, what the biggest thing that he can do, and he is going to kill the leader of the church. It's not about proving him wrong. It's not about mistreating him. He's going to do it publicly. He's going to be as visible as he can, and he's going to take Peter, and the day after, after the holiday, when everybody's still in, in town, he's going to make a great spectacle of it. He's going to kill Peter. He's going to kill Peter, verse 4. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover, everybody's in town for the Passover, to bring him out before the people. Four squads of soldiers. There were four soldiers in a squad. And so he takes this one man, Peter, 
And he assigns 16 soldiers to him. You think this isn't a big deal? You think he hadn't got a lot riding on this? He says, 16 soldiers, 24 hours a day, two sets of chains, one with him, one on each side, one outside the gate, and one further outside the gate. 16 soldiers are going to guard him. This is a big deal. Verse says he's going to bring him out before the people. We read the extra biblical account of, of Herod. And Herod always had trouble with Rome. In fact, that's his end. He always had trouble with, with, with Rome. And so now here's his big chance for the Jews to love him. And when the Jews love him, Rome is going to approve of him. And so here's his big chance. He is planning to make a great spectacle in the death of Peter. All right, verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison. But prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. I want you to see two things. Now, this is, this is important to our specific setup here. I want you to see two specific things. First thing is this. Be sure this is a dire situation. We read the account. We've read this account for, for many years, and we think, well, we know he's going to get out of it. Listen, this is a dire situation. When Passover is over, with all the Jews still in town, it's not going to be a long way off. It's very soon. James is already dead, and now Peter will be killed. The head, the leader of the church, he will be killed. He is already caught. He has already been arrested. He's under the guard of 16 different soldiers. This is a terrible, dire situation. Here's what I found, and here's what I believe. The gospel preaching church will stay in dire situations. Now, I wish it weren't so. I wish that weren't the truth, but that's what I found out. The, the church that takes up the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Satan cannot stand that. The world cannot stand that. And a church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're continually going to be found in dire situations. This is a dire situation. Now, the second thing I want to I pull out of this, this verse is this. Notice the verse says, so Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him is being made fervently by the church to God. Notice it says the church is praying. Notice this, and I think it's a big deal here as we, as we watch the progression. The group is referred to as the church. It doesn't say the believers were praying. It doesn't say those that were disciples of Jesus we're praying. It doesn't say the followers of Jesus, the Nazarene, were praying. It says the church is praying. It refers to the group as the church. They are referred to in verse 5 as the church. Now, the Greek word, ecclesia, ecclesia, it means, here's what it means, the assembly. Did you hear that? It means the congregation the congregation that congregates. It means the assembly. It is the whole body of believers. Now, here, here's what we should notice here in this verse. These people, 
individually, they're saved. Yes, we're saved as individuals. These folks, individually, they're following Jesus Christ. Listen, somebody else can't follow Jesus Christ for you. Your walk is your own, and individually, they've been saved, and individually, they are following Christ, but now they have become an entity. Now they have become a thing. Now they have become a unit committed to the cause of Jesus Christ. That is the church. This group of saved people are now one body. They are one unit. They are a thing committed to the cause of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? Don't miss that in this verse. They are a unit, a thing committed together to the cause of, of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that's the church? The church is not something to be on a roll. The church is not something to attend. The church is not something to come and to go to. The church is not something to take or to leave. It is a thing, it is a group, and it is a group committed to the cause of Jesus Christ. That is the church of Jesus Christ. Well, I attended church. I don't attend church. Well, I'm on the roll of a church. Well, I've moved my membership of a church. Listen, that's not anything to do with it. The church is a group, a unit committed to the cause of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something right now. In the last days, we better get that. I, I, I thought about this, and, I, and I'm just going to say it. I thought about this yesterday. Pretty tough days we're in, right? Think so? Guess what the Bible says? It's going to get tougher. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says they're going to hate this cause. The Bible says that people are going to be lovers of self, lovers of money, prideful, arrogant, insolent. They're going to be revilers. I want to tell you, in the last days, we better get understanding the fact that we need the church. Oh, this is a terrible year. Listen, the Bible says it's going to get worse. We need to understand we need the church as believers. More than that, the world needs the church, and we better be very sure today we are the church. Well, let somebody else do it. Let somebody younger do it. Let somebody tougher do it. Listen, we are the church. We need each other in the church. And more than that, the lost world needs the church. In our evaluation today, let me ask a question. I'm going to ask you to think about it. I want you to be honest. Don't answer out loud. So let's be honest. In your life, do you need the church? I'm being honest here. Paycheck's clearing. You need the church? Can you get by without the church? Are you getting by without the church? If the church disappeared, is your life going to move on, move forward? Do you need the church? Let me ask a, a, a different question, maybe a better one. Does the church need you? You see, you've been gifted for, a, for an act in the church, for a service to the church. You've been gifted. You have a gift. God has placed you, is what he says in his word, in a local church. He has placed you. Are you using your gift? Are you serving? Are you standing with your brothers and sisters so much so that the church needs you? Does the church need you? Are you, you so uncommitted? You so unfaithful? You so, you so 
flipping in your walk in the church that no one even notices you're gone already? Verse 6. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. Here's here's verse 6. I like verse (laughs) 6. When I read verse 6, guards, two chains, out by the door. When I read verse 6, I want to say this. Peter, do you know what tomorrow is? Peter, do you know what tomorrow is? I, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't know what tomorrow is. He's all chained up, two sets of chains. He's got guards on each side of him. He's got guards outside the door. Peter, do you know what tomorrow is? Peter, you're going to die tomorrow. You're going to die tomorrow. It's your last day. This is how this ends, Peter. And what does the Bible say? He's asleep. You know, if I got somewhere to go the next day, I can't sleep. I can't imagine if I'm going to be killed the next day. I don't think I'm sleeping. He is found right there, chained up, double chains. He is asleep. Now, I want to be very honest right here. I don't imagine that he expected what's going to happen. I don't imagine that he thought this was a possibility. I don't think he expected what's going to happen. In fact, I truly believe he probably thought he was going to die the next day. I think in his logical mind, he knows how this goes. He sees he's caught. He sees all these guards. I think he expects to die the next day. I don't think he imagines what's going to happen, but here's what I do believe. I do believe that he trusted God in the matter. And, he, and I believe he understands it's okay. Listen, it's okay. I believe he understands that God is faithful and God is trustworthy, and he's been faithful to that plan. He's submitted to that plan, and I believe he doesn't know what's going to happen. He thinks he's most likely going to die, but I think he is fine. You know why? He trusts God. And so in the midst of that, he is asleep. Let me tell you something. I'd like to have that kind of trust. I'd like to have that kind of trust. Whatever problem pops up, whatever tough thing comes up, that I know God is faithful and I can trust him and I will sleep through it. I'd like to have that kind of trust. All right, verse (coughs) 7. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. He's, he is so asleep that the angel, the light shines, and the angel's there, and the angel has to hit him. That, that's sleeping like my kids sleep. The angel has to strike him in the side. And the Bible says the chains fell off of his hands. Boom, chains fell off. Verse 8, and the angel said to him, gird yourself and put on your sandals. Wow, what a statement. (laughs) Get ready, put your shoes on. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you. It's a little bit cool outside. And follow me, verse 9. And he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Listen, this is so unexpected. That's why I think he didn't expect it. This is so crazy. This is so absurd that he thinks, you know what? This is a dream. This is a vision. I'm having some sort of vision. This is not real. Verse 10. When they had passed the first and second guard, 
they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. Verse 10, they walk out. And I try to picture this. They go by that first guard, and I don't know how you go by the first guard. Maybe they do like this as they go by. And he walks by, and they get over that, that second guard, and there he is. And they walk by him, and they walk outside. You know what they're not doing? What I'd have been doing, running. He doesn't run out of prison. He, he's walking out. He's got an angel with him, and they go by the second guard, and he walks out of that prison, and they get outside, and there's the gate of the outer gate of the prison that when you open that, it goes into the street, and you know what it does? It opens up as they get there. Now, I don't know. If that was an unseen angel, I don't know if that was the power of God that opened it, but Peter walks up to that gate, and I don't know, again, if it's the power of God, if it's an angel, let me get that for you. The gate opens up. Peter walks out of prison, 16 guards. He walks out of prison, verse 11. Wow, wow. When Peter came to himself, wow, what a process. He said, listen to this. Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. He was gonna die. The Jews were thirsty for it. Herod was prepared for it. And God has delivered him. Now, I want you to hear this. I want you to see this. I want you to remember this today. Listen very carefully. God works supernaturally through the church. Man, I believe that. I've seen that. Listen very carefully. God works supernaturally through the church. The gospel goes out, and it is the power of God unto salvation, and it is an awesome thing. People are saved, and it's the biggest miracle that could ever happen. People are saved, and it's a tremendous thing. And Christ is glorified in the undertakings of the church. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. God works supernaturally through the church. But here's what I want you to see this morning. Here's what I want you to understand this morning. Here's what I want you to remember. He also works supernaturally for the church. You get that? He works supernaturally through the faithful church, but God works for the church. Now, what I mean is this, and here's what I want you to understand. God enables the church. We don't do this. God enables the church. God finances the church. He's the one that makes it possible. God protects the church. God blesses the church. God works for the church. Let me tell you something. Boy, these last days, we better be sure of this. We do not have to fear in the church. We don't have to scramble around like a chicken with our head cut off, wondering which way we're gonna turn in the church. No, we submit to the head Jesus, and we walk in faith, and we move in the church in obedience, knowing and trusting that God works supernaturally through the church. But friend, more than that, God works for his church. Wow, today we've got this crazy what-if syndrome. And we go around and it's crept into the church and it's bled into what we think in the church today and we go through life and we say, well, what if? 
What if this? What, what if that? Oh, that, you heard about that. What if that? What if the economy tanks? What if, what if our, our politicians do the wrong thing? What if, what if the government's a mess? What if we're never gonna survive this government? What if a virus gets us? What if, what if, what if, what if? And every turn, we're consumed with what if. Listen to me very carefully. God enables, empowers, protects, finances. He works for his church. We can trust that as followers of Jesus Christ. Man, what a lesson we see there. What a tremendous thing. I'm sure Peter thought he was gonna die and he walks out and the gates open up and he walks out and the living God works for his church. We can trust that. We can trust that. Trust that. Verse 12. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, John Mark, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Verse 12 says, many were gathered. You know what this was? Verse 12, I, I read this. Verse 12, you know what this is? It's not smart. Verse 12 is not smart. Verse 12 is dangerous. Verse 12 is not logical. It's not the thing to do. Let me tell you something. If there was ever a time to be scarce in the city, this was the time to be scarce in the city. Do you know what happens when the Jews get together and they, and they start to, to brag on Herod? Somebody's going to die. He already cut James' head off. He's got Peter and he's caught. Listen, this is a crazy thing. This is a not logical thing. You want to do something absurd, get together. Let me tell you something that's crazier. Here's something crazier. Peter goes there. Do you know what he's just walked out of? Do you know what he's just escaped? You know the last place he needed to go is where there's a crowd of believers? Do you know they're expecting to kill him? Do you know the great movement starts with his death? The craziest thing for Peter to do is go where the believers are gathering, but you know what he does? It says when he came to himself, the first thing he did was find the believers and go where they were. And many were gathered. I think maybe we need to understand many. Many, I looked it up in two different places. It translates a dadgum bunch. Uh, there's a dadgum bunch of people down there. there. There's a flat bunch of people gathered. And here's what I want you to see. They are praying. Ooh, they are praying. Verse 5, when it tells us about their praying, it says they are praying fervently. Go look that up in the original language. It's a word that means in a strain. They, they are praying intently. They are praying with intensity. They are desperate in their prayers. Listen, we can't get in the jail. That's the leader of our church. We can't get there. We are tied up, and they are praying intently. They are praying with intensity. Let me tell you, I got to tell us something right here. We're not praying enough in our church. I'll just tell you, we're not praying enough in this church. Not, not like that, we're not. The church must be consistent in prayer. The church must be fervent in prayer. The church ought to be found in 
prayer. I thought about this. What are the odds if you picked one of the things we're doing as a church and you were to walk up on it, what are the odds that you'd find us praying? It's better you'd find us singing. Better odds you'd find us preaching. Better odds we'd be doing something. But what are the odds if you walked up at a certain time at at an activity of the church that you'd find the church praying? We're not praying enough as a church. And here's what I'm afraid. Oh, what we're missing. Oh, what we're missing as a church. We must be diligent in prayer. Verse 13. When he knocked on the door of the gate, when he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Verse 14. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. Verse 15, they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. They kept saying, it is his angel. Now see what happens here in these verses. Peter goes to the gathering. He goes to the gate. He knocks on the gate. Old Rhoda comes to the gate, and she sees that it's Peter. She recognizes his voice, and she runs back. She doesn't open the gate. She doesn't say, hey, get in here. They're looking for you. She doesn't open the door. She runs back to the crowd, and she says, Peter's here. Peter is here. And they're praying, listen, Rhoda, don't bother us. We're praying for Peter. And she says, Peter is here. Peter's here. And they say, you're crazy. He's in jail. He's going to be killed tomorrow. And she says, no, Peter is here. And someone says, somebody do something with Rhoda. She's gone crazy tonight. And she says, Peter's here. Verse 16, I wonder what Peter's thinking. But Peter continued knocking. Hey, my last gate just opened. Peter continued knocking. When they'd opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. Amazed means astounded. Best translation I could put it into, they were blown away. They were blown away. Peter's at the gate. Verse 17. But motioning to him with his hand, and this is just pretty practical stuff, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison, and he said, report these things to James and the brethren. Then he left and went to another place. Now imagine this. They're in the city. And, and, and they get there, and they're all saying, hey, Peter's here, Peter's here. He's, he's, he's on, the, on the run. They're looking for him. There's neighbors all around there. There's some woman next door, and she's been listening all night anyway. And he says, hush. He does his hands, hush, be silent. You're too loud. And he tells them, you know what, I was asleep. And somebody says, I, he was asleep. Wow. An angel pushed me in the side, punched me in the side. And the chains fell off my hands. And they say, chains, what? What do you mean they fell off your hands? He says, they, they fell off my hands. I woke up in two sets of chains. They fell off my hands. He says, I got up and put on my shoes and girded myself. And I, and I started to walk out. And they said, hold on a minute. There were, there were 16 guards. There's four sets of four. There's guards on each side of you. They're at the gate. What do you mean you walked out? There's 16 guards. And he says, I walked out. 
And he says, when I got to the front, I went by the second guard and the gate just opened. What do you mean that gate doesn't open? It's double locked. How's the gate just open? And he says, listen, the gate just opened. And he says, go and report it. Tell James. James is the half-brother of Jesus. And tell the brethren. What an awesome thing that is. I just sat there for just a second thinking about that. You know what? The church needed some good news. James, the half-brother of Jesus, the brethren, oh, it's a tough time in the church. They, they, they've killed James and John. His brother's very upset. And now they've got our leader. They got Peter and they got him in jail. And you know, tomorrow morning, they're gonna kill him as well. And he says, you go and you find them. Hey, it's late at night. Listen, you go and you report to them and you tell them I'm alive and I walked out of that jail and I'm standing here. But more than that, you tell them God is alive and he's working in his church and the movement goes on. You tell them, you report, you testify. God works for his church. And then he left to go to another place. I don't know, my mind, I think it probably was too dangerous to be there. So he leaves and he goes to another place. Let me, let me ask the question. What could be better than that? What could be better than that? Being one of those Jews, being Herod, being one of those Roman guys he had to answer to, what could be better than that? If you were a person, what would you rather be doing than that? Think about that. You got so many days to live, what would you rather be doing with those days? What group would you rather be joined to than that group? They come and they're together and they're a unit and they're solidifying the cause of Jesus Christ. And when you find them, you know what they're doing? They're fervently praying for the movement of God what group would you rather belong to than that? What would you rather be seeing than that? Would you rather see some sporting event, a Super Bowl, a NASCAR race? Would you rather see something else? Would you rather see your bank account get full? What would you rather be seeing than Peter walk up and the chains had fallen off? What could be better than that? Let me tell you something, friend, and I, and I make no apologies. I wanna be where God is working. I want to be where God is working and I want to be with the people that he's working through. That's what I've decided. You know what? You can, you can run through these years and you can do a lot of things and people can brag on you and you can chalk up a lot of accomplishments, but I want to be where God is working and I want to be with the people he is working through. You remember 10 and a half years ago? Some of you will. We took up a one-day offering. Listen, not six weeks, one day. It had one week's notice. You remember that? I announced it on a Sunday. We took it the next Sunday. We raised $103,000, and we paid off every debt that this church has. We put the checking account back right. We paid off all the current bills, and we put money in the bank. God did that through, through us. God did that. And that happened in one day with one week's lead-in. I remember when they counted the money that day, I remember I came in that afternoon, and the men, some of you were in this room, were sitting at a table in the church office, 
and the stack was so big they were rubber banding it together. Most of it was in cash, and the men that were counting it were crying as they counted it. I remember that evening there wasn't a, there wasn't a seat in here. It was packed, and I remember we were sitting here, and I remember before we got up here, and, and somebody came, and they were a good guy, a good deacon guy, and he said, you know what? You're not going to get it. You're not going to get it. Goal was 75000 85000 and he said, you're not going to get it. It was a good attempt. You're going to get 35000 you're going to get 35000 but praise the Lord, that's a good start. You're going to get 35000 I remember driving to church that afternoon. Carrie said, what are you going to do if you don't get it? I said, I don't know. I don't have a backup plan. I guess I'll jump out a back window and go somewhere else. And I've still got the card in my office that says this, $103,000 written out in a pencil. Praise the Lord. You remember a Sunday? Because I do. When we had 17 decisions for Christ on a Sunday morning, went from here to here, y'all were in it. You remember that, Tina? Kelly, y'all were in that. You remember another Sunday, we had 21 decisions for Christ. 21 decisions from Christ went from one side to another of this altar. You remember a, a Monday night, Rob Chilton was with me. Monday night, and Jeannie and Timmy Nail got saved. I went over there, and I, I saw her blow up on somebody at the grocery sack, and I thought, boy, I'm going to get killed if I go to her house. And I went to her house. You know what she did? She professed faith in Jesus Christ. You know where she's at now in the presence of her Savior, Jesus Christ. You remember one Easter when we went to every house in Vernon on a Saturday? Try that. That's insane. It looked like Hillbilly Central. We had golf carts, pickups, trailers. We had kids running around, people on bicycles, cars. We had mapped out the city, and I don't know how we did that. We mapped it out. People took cards, and we went on a Saturday, went to every house in Vernon, Texas, said, hey, we're having an Easter service tomorrow. Do you know there's over 1,200 people came to that Easter service and nine decisions were made for Jesus Christ? Let me tell you something. What could be better than that? I want to tell you, as I, as I go through these verses and I read this account, I want to tell you right now, that's what God intends for his church. He doesn't put a church together to fall asleep he doesn't put a church together to fall apart. He puts a church together that they would walk in obedience and they would submit to him and he would bless them and empower them and it would be a supernatural thing and the gospel of Jesus Christ would go out. What could be better than that? Do you know that's what God intends for this church? And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church. That's what God intends. Here's the original question. So how do you see the church? How do you see the church? Last question is this, and we'll be done. Why does it matter? Why does it matter? Let me tell you why it matters. I'm going to be very blunt. Jesus is coming again very soon. Jesus is coming again very soon, but let me tell you the other side of that. You may not live to see it. You might, you might perish leaving this service. You might pass away this afternoon. You might pass away tonight. If you live through all that, you know what? Jesus is coming again very soon. And I want to tell you this. Any person outside of a saving faith relationship with Jesus Christ, they will perish. They'll get another chance. No, they won't. Not what the Bible says. God wouldn't do that to him. Yes, and he's a righteous judge. Any person outside of a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, 
will be lost. There's only one way to be saved, and that's by faith in Jesus Christ. And the church has that message. We hold the gospel. You want to tell me why we commit to the church? It's not that we would get a place that we like. It's that we have a place to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. You want to know why it matters? Those outside of a relationship with Jesus will perish, and it will be forever too late. It absolutely matters. How do you see the church? Let's pray. Dear Father, we come. And I'm thankful for our church. I'm thankful for the church that you're the head of. I'm thankful for the church that you enable, that you empower. I'm thankful for the church that you use. Lord, I pray as the church that as we hear this today, we will be convicted. I pray as we hear this today that we will be committed. Lord, I, I, I pray as we hear this today that we would bring our gift and we would serve. And Lord, I pray, Lord, use this church. Use your church, Lord. I pray as we go into lost, to a lost world, dark days, hard times, as it's sure to get harder, Lord, I pray that we would uphold the banner, the light of the gospel of Jesus. Lord, as we were just singing earlier, as your word tells us, our life is but a vapor. I pray as long as it's not a vapor, as long as we're here in our skin and our flesh, that we would open our mouths and we would declare Jesus until the day we celebrate with you. Use us like that, Lord. Lord, I pray for someone here that today may not know you. I pray that on this day, in the hearing of the good news, that today they might trust you. It would be the day of their salvation, again, for your glory. I pray, Lord, that you would move in our invitation time, that you would speak to us, that you would lead us. I pray that you be glorified in every bit of it. Lord, we love you. We do praise you. We worship you. We submit to you. We thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.